Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Hey, City Collective. My name is Rochelle, and today I'm going to be reading from Luke 12, verse 35 to 48. Be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who who is entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Good morning, City Collective, and welcome to my crib. My name is Adriana, and I have the privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Do have to start by saying, I don't think I ever verbally said yes to this, but Jesus, with a little help from Pastor Jason, helped push me out of my comfort zone. This morning, I'm going to be focusing on verse 35, and when I read it, I had a similar feeling. A little bit uncomfortable, a little bit anxious. Did you feel the same way? Or maybe you feel similarly when you think of someone asking you to do a five-minute sermon. These feelings are easy for me to recognize because they happen to me often, but it's not as easy to recognize why I'm feeling that way. I can vividly remember a time that I was feeling this way uh, when Pastor Jason and I were first starting to date. He had planned and told me he planned a surprise date. Now, if you know me even just a little bit, you'll know the word surprise and I are the best of enemies. But I didn't let him see me freak out. Um, I definitely kept it cool, calm, and collected. All words that people use to describe me. And I just let it go. But inside, every day, I was working myself up more and more about what this date could be. Finally, I decided that I was going to be really coy and, you know, understated and just ask him some probing questions so I could figure out what to wear. Well, clearly Pastor Jason is a genius because he saw right through my ploy and wouldn't give me anything. 
the only thing that he told me was that we would be going dancing. Dancing? Where is this guy taking me? Are we going to a club? What kind of club? What does one wear to a club? Do you wear a dress? Is it too short? Is it too tight? Is it too long? Is it too loose? What kind of jacket do I wear? My thoughts were spiraling. By the time Jason came to the door and saw me, he knew that something was wrong. And he asked me the worst question. Are you okay? Fear and anxiety had completely taken over and I couldn't pretend I was okay. The tears welled up and just came streaming down my face. When I read verse 35, I had a similar thought spiral to our surprise date. The verse says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Again with this clothing. So now I have to be clothed, but not just in any clothing, in the right clothing because I have to be prepared and prepared for anything because I don't know what's gonna happen. And the spiral continues. My thoughts and emotions take over and I know it's going somewhere unhealthy, but also it's legitimate, so I just need to see where this goes. Spiraling from fear and anxiety can and has been a pattern for me. Not one I'm proud of or one that many people know about, and it can be crippling. And in this case, it can cripple and manipulate the way that I view this passage. Instead of viewing it as Jesus preparing me, encouraging me and supporting me, it becomes about how afraid I am that I'm not prepared and that I'm not supported. And I don't know what kind of dance we're doing. Sorry, just reliving that moment. When Jason, after I had my teary outburst, Jason told me what we were doing. We were going to a jazz cafe downtown. We were gonna have dinner and there was gonna be a live singer. When we got there, we didn't dance. No one did. And it made me sad to think about my reaction. Sad because I knew it wasn't the first time that it happened. Sad because my need for control was more important than enjoying a date that my now husband had carefully and thoughtfully planned for me. Sad because it wasn't isolated to my relationship with Jason, but also in my relationship with Jesus. In those moments, moments where we're overwhelmed by fear and anxiety, what's the first thing that someone says to us? Don't worry, don't be afraid, it's gonna be okay. And then it's just like this light comes over you and you're totally fine and every worry goes away, right? No, at least not for me. And I thought it was because whoever was saying it to me just didn't get it. They didn't understand how overwhelmed I was feeling. They didn't understand how debilitating anxiety could be. But Miroslav Wolf helped me understand why these phrases fall short. He said, that's why in the New Testament, all injunctions to fear except for one come from the mouth of Jesus or angels. That is to say, from those who are capable of rescuing us from danger or imparting us the strength to face it. It's not by mistake that this verse follows an entire section of Jesus saying, do not be anxious. I get it now. The words sink deeper. It's not that Jesus has removed the feeling of fear, but he's removed the need for me to deal with it on my own. I need to say that again. It's not that Jesus has removed the feeling of fear, but he has removed the need for me to deal with it on my own. 
and invited me to give it to him, to lean on the one who can rescue us and give us the strength to face it. Fear and anxiety has held me back from things that God has wanted me to experience, things that would make my relationship with him deeper. But every time I recognize it, even if it's not in that moment, I grow one step deeper, one step closer, and shorten the time it takes for me to lean on the one who can rescue me and give me the strength to face it. This morning, have you given your heart fully to Jesus? Do you know him and trust him? My trust grows each time that I give up my control, when I surrender my fear and anxiety. Jesus is asking us to be ready. Are we going to respond from fear of not knowing what's going to happen? Or out of hopeful expectation because we know him and we trust him and we know that the plans that he has for us are always for good. I'm changing my response. Will you? Thank you. Good morning, City Collective. I'm Gabby, and um, together we're going to go through uh, verses 42 to 46. Before we go there, um, something that I was taught and something I want to share with us to keep in the back of our heads is the way Jesus tells parables. See, when he's sharing with us these parables, he intentionally puts us in a place of discomfort. So as we're learning, um, as we're seeing different perspectives and learning new things about these parables, it might make us uncomfortable, but that's okay because it gives us an opportunity to make a decision and move forward with our lives. So, verse 42, 46, we see these two servants and a master. This master gives these two servants power and authority to take care of his things, um, food allowance and his possessions. One of the servants does good in the eyes of the master, gets rewarded. The other servant um, uses this power, abuses this power actually, um, eats a little bit too much, drinks a little bit too much, ends up beating the other servants, and then he gets caught um, by the uh, master, unprepared, ends up getting cut into pieces, and ends up getting assigned to a place with the unbelievers. So it's a bit of a tough read, yeah, but I promise we can get something out of it, cool? So it's like, kind of like when your boss or like your parent like gives you a job or a task or a project to do, uh, the question lies with how do you go about it? So do you proceed in a way where you plan for it, um, where you work through it, where you work on it every day, do you get some help, or do you go, I understand that these are the jobs or projects that I need to do, but I'm going to look after myself first, and maybe I'll look after this a couple weeks from now, or later on, whatever. So that's kind of like the lens we will be, we'll be looking through things at. So I kind of re uh, relate with the second um, servant a little bit. See, he didn't really understand why um, he should have done better. Um, why he should have actually used this power for good. Um, when I was in high school, um, it was an amazing time. Had stupid amounts of fun. It was great. Um, what wasn't great were my grades. They were pretty bad. We're talking 50s and 60s. Like, it was gross. Um, but, you know, people always told me, Gabby, study, work hard, prepare for exams, um, you know, so you can get good education and a good job. It wasn't until, like, a few years later that I understood, holy crap, they were right. See, I ended up just going home and playing video games. I should have actually set time. You know, I was given time. I was, I was entrusted with time, but I just did not prioritize it well. And so now like, I'm paying the price now. 
don't get me wrong i love my job but you, you get what i mean so going back to these servants they were given power just like god gives us power god gives us power to do something of worth to build the kingdom of god to serve to love to forgive to care but with this power we can actually pursue our own interests and while we're actually using this power and abusing it for our own selfish needs we end up abusing it we end up abusing others we end up abusing ourselves and that is not just um and that isn't um what the power is intended to do it is intended to do good and to build a kingdom so i fully believe we do what we believe we do what we prioritize and if the gospel and if the goodness and the gracefulness of God isn't on our list of priorities, there's something we just don't do, kind of like me in high school. So if we don't understand why we've been given this power, we just don't end up doing it. This makes sense, right? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in such a, uh, in a beautiful way. He, he compares cheap grace to costly uh, grace. Cheap grace is when you, you know, you, you go to church uh, on, on, online, <laughs> when you read your Bible, you go, yeah, God is good, God is graceful, that's awesome, but your life does not really reflect it. That is when we cheapen grace. Grace is costly and we must sit and ponder on that and actually wonder because God is so big, God is so beyond us. And out of all of the ways he could have saved us, could have redeemed us, he chose the one way that costed him his only son to come down, die for us, so that we could enter into this beautiful relationship with God. Now, the thought of it costing God something is just immense to me. It's crazy. I can't even fathom that. But it makes uh, an, a beautiful impact in my life where I go, God's grace is something so good for me that I must spread it. See, it builds its way up to my priority list, which is absolutely good. So the question in hand as we come to a close that if we do not prioritize the power that's given to us, it might just be a lack of understanding what truly the power is or what truly the good news is. So may I suggest it might be a time to dig a little bit deeper, um, to ask a little bit more questions and to spend a little bit more time with Jesus so that we can not only understand what's been given to us, but we can actually put it into action and serve and love others. Thank you for listening. Good morning, City Collective. My name is Rebecca, and it is my pleasure to be one of your five this morning talking about puzzling parable of Luke chapter 12. Now, I gotta be honest, when I read this scripture, I immediately related to the role of a servant. I've been a parent for seven years now. I feel like I spend most of my days picking up after my boys, doing laundry, cooking, shopping, pickups, drop-offs. Yes, I know what it feels like to be a servant with a plate full of responsibility. So when I read this passage of scripture, I had to ask myself, how exactly does Christ my master expect me, his servant, to be prepared or ready as is mentioned in verse 38? And how do I know that I'm being a good servant? My 
reading, kept bringing up this one word, stewardship. And if you've never heard this word in the biblical sense before, it means exactly as it sounds. That God, our master, created and owns everything, and that we, his servants, are to manage diligently and carefully the resources and gifts that have been placed in our life. Good stewardship ends up being a blessing to others and gives God the glory. Okay, I get that. But does that mean that good stewardship is equivalent to success in the worldly sense? I mean, think about it. If I earn more money or if my children succeed in life, does that mean that I've done a good job as a steward and God is blessing me for it? That train of thought, while logical, it, it didn't sit right with me. And it was because early on in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about life, about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat, that life was about more than that. And so this puzzle piece, it didn't fit. Was there possibly another angle of stewardship that I was missing? What would happen if I stopped looking at stewardship as this high pressure responsibility that required me to invest time, energy, and maybe I'm doing it the right way, God will bless me, and then I know I'm doing a good job. What would happen if I stopped looking at it like that and started to look at stewardship as an invitation to fellowship with Jesus? What if true stewardship involved spiritual growth and a transformation of your heart so that you looked more like Jesus? And as a natural outflow, the stewardship of the different areas of your life reflected that change, reflected the image of Jesus. Here, maybe I can explain better with a story from my early 20s. Um, I was a youth worker for the city, and in my second year, I decided to expand my skill set. I applied for a job out of a local elementary school to run an after-school program. I interviewed, got the job, and was assigned to a school. All through training, I was excited. Nervous, of course, but excited and expected to flourish. My first day, I got there, butterflies in my stomach, and the day totally sucked. Turns out that the kids absolutely adored their old team lead and they were not happy to see me. They were very vocal about their feelings. Make no mistake, angry six-year-olds are savage. The day spiraled from there, but it set the tone for the next several months. And a couple months later, I remember getting into my car, hunching over my steering wheel and tearfully praying, Lord, out of all the schools that you could have brought me to, why did you bring me to this one? And a couple minutes into this woe is me prayer, I realized something. Change needed to happen. But it's unreasonable to expect change from six-year-olds, so change had to happen from me. There was one issue. I was too angry to change naturally. And I needed Jesus. And so right there in my mom's car, I started to pray for each of those little monsters by name. Lord, I lift up little Timmy to you. He is a complete brat but changed my heart to have love and compassion for him. As time went on, I took every chance that I could get to pray for them. And I started to notice little things, their uniqueness, their sense of humor. I even started to get a little fond of them. And in the following spring, I remember getting into my car with a sense of fulfillment and joy. I was enjoying my time at work. And that change only could have been through Jesus. When I tried to succeed at work in my own strength, wisdom, and resources, I ended up angry and resentful. 
And the kids around me were affected by my bad attitude. But when I invited Jesus into my workspace, a change, a transformation of my heart happened that resulted in the others around me being blessed and my work giving God glory. So maybe when God is talking to us about being prepared, maybe he's talking about the state of our hearts to be prepared for change. Be prepared to put down your anger, resentment, or jealousy. Be prepared to look more like Jesus. And maybe the mark of a good servant is to have a soft, teachable heart. Is there an area in your life where you're experiencing no growth or worse, you feel like you're failing? A simple prayer to invite Jesus into that area could be taken from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Feel free to make it your own. But my prayer goes, Lord, you have placed your servant amongst this great people that you have chosen. So give your servant a discerning heart to be a good steward and to distinguish between right and wrong. Thank you for listening to Me City Collective. I'll see you soon. G'day church. For those who don't know me, my name is Stephen, and today I'm going to be focusing on verses 47 and 48, which read, And the servant who knew the master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So these verses are a bit on the nose. Now, we see the side of God's judgment, which is often tiptoed about in Western churches, where the tendency is to focus on God's grace, and it's even my own tendency. However, there is a consistent drumbeat of God's righteous judgment of our sin alongside His grace towards us, and this is seen throughout Jesus' teachings. And I think this parable can help us understand how we can balance those two aspects of God. Now, in the latter parable, uh, we see a manager who is set over a household and was given clear instruction from the master on what he expects. But off the bat, we see judgment come upon this servant who knew the will of the master but decided to neglect it. However, at the same time, we see another servant who did not know the will of the master receive a lighter judgment. What is Jesus trying to communicate? I think he's trying to say that there is an expectation, a responsibility to act according to our revelation of Jesus as the Son of God, an, un, uh, an understanding of his teachings and the way that looks in practice, and the, an awareness of the kingdom and his value system. We are accountable to what we know. And this is in all areas of life. Uh, relationships, power, sex, money, work, and the list goes on. Now, the problem I have <laughs> with this parable is that oftentimes my awareness of something doesn't lead to a change in my actions. For example, I love some good fried spicy wings. Now I know they're bad for my health. I know they're gonna make me fat, give me high cholesterol and everything else under the sun. But that didn't stop me and my vegan housemate from ordering 20 spicy wings from Church's Chicken, which we crushed in five minutes with chips and drink praise god hallelujah and it was glorious but you see the problem 
Oftentimes, our awareness of something is only mind deep. So the problem with an awareness, which is only mind deep, is that we can convince ourselves otherwise, like we do regularly with fried wings. Understanding an awareness may also be manipulated by external views, opposing thoughts and differing beliefs. And you can even see this in the parable where the servant or the manager started beating the other servant, started eating and getting drunk. Now, there was no way the master wasn't going to find out, but he convinced himself otherwise because of the master's delay. However, an awareness which is soul and heart deep puts us onto the path of revelation, which steers us in the direction of spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation is the process of becoming more like Jesus and the person he created you to truly be. The journey of formation occurs from our awareness, which will then shape our hearts in a way that the natural outflow of our life will be the will of the Father. So a while ago, uh, God revealed to me that I'm a little bit of a control freak. And to put that into perspective, for work, um, I help manage projects and construction and I need to know every bit of detail. I need to know all the parameters. I need to make sure everything's perfect so everything runs smoothly. Now, this is a part of my current nature and this is something that God is working on in my life. And then that lack of, or that need for control shows my lack of trust in God, which is fundamental in any relationship. So this is something that God has been working in my life uh, very <laughs> slowly. But I'm hoping one day that I'll be able to live a life where I can just not have any control and live life with an open hand. And that is the process of spiritual formation. And this is done through prayer, reading of scripture, meditation on scripture and other practices. So here's the thing. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I read the Bible, I develop a new awareness and understanding. However, it's only mind deep. And I also that means I need to put an extra effort to get it heart and soul deep. Because as we know, if it's only mind deep, it can be warped. Now I need to put in this extra effort and invite the Holy Spirit to shape me. Or like what it says in Ezekiel 36. I'll give you a new heart and put in you a new spirit. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Dallas Willard puts it perfectly. Grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Sometimes we need to put in effort to see things in our life change. Or as Klein Snodgrass puts it, we are not bound to our tendencies even though they are not easily set aside. So, back to Friday Wings. I have been informed by dietitians from the internet, my mom, my sister, everyone, that it is bad for my health, it will deteriorate my health, and there will be consequences that follow. But because I now know I cannot blame anyone else. It is on me. Living according to our awareness will produce a life like that of the servants in the first parable, where they had a longing for the master, where they had a desire to celebrate and commune with him. However, if we decide to neglect our awareness of Jesus and his teachings, our lives will look like that of the servant in the second parable, where he disobeyed his master and was thrown in with the unfaithful. To close, I want you to consider two questions. What are you aware of and does your life reflect it? Thank you and God bless.
Good morning, Study Collective. My name is Sophia, and I'm so glad to be here with you today because I don't know about you, but I felt pretty distant from people lately. So I hope this platform can connect us a little bit. But people aren't the only thing I felt distant from. I've also felt distant from feeling like I have a purpose, feeling like the things I'm doing are fulfilling and worthwhile, and even from myself. So that's why today I feel compelled to talk about purpose. And as we consider a parable that is about the watchfulness and being ready for the return of Jesus, I want to start by sharing a little story about a situation that I saw that lacked purpose and how it impacted me. So last summer, I was an intern at New Hope Community Services, where my primary role was coordinating volunteers and putting on a kids program for the 25-some children that are refugees at New Hope. This was my first experience being on the receiving end of volunteers in an organization. So there was one group that particularly stuck out to me because they did such a bad job. They painted the apartments and left them in rows looking like a football field. And when they put on the kids program, they mostly interacted with each other and even made the craft for themselves, leaving me totally scrambling. And so I'm telling you a story, not to bash on them, but because I had a profound moment of self-reflection as someone who's grown up in the church and gone on dozens of these serving opportunities and outreach opportunities and patted myself on the back for a job well done, when in actual fact, I was not furthering the mission and purpose of that organization or the kingdom of God. I was checking a box for personal fulfillment. Do you feel like you live life as Jesus did in the sense that mission, or serving is just a natural part of your routine and your everyday life? Or is it off to the side and disjointed and out of your element? Today, I'm going to be talking about verses 38 and 240 in this parable. At first, I think we can all agree on the meaning, right? Jesus is the master. After his ministry, he ascends to heaven. He's promised his disciples that he'll return and no one knows when that time will be, right? So the question for me is, what does it mean to be watchful or ready for the return of Jesus? I understood these verses better after reading earlier on in Luke 12. There's a parable about a rich young fool who is focused on maximizing profits. Jesus tells his disciples not to worry about anything because God will provide for all their needs. And Jesus tells his disciples to sell their possessions and give to the poor. Verse 33 and 4 say, provide for yourself money bags that do not grow old because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These verses are not about doing more or giving more so that you look good when Jesus returns. They're about the things that your heart values and then how that will affect your whole life. So after reading of Luke 12, I understand watchfulness to be a holistic life, a mission that is not just these random volunteer opportunities or going to church, but a mission that is the purpose for my life. So verses 39 and 40, they can kind of feel like a threat. Jesus is like a thief in the night who will catch you at a bad time. But if you think about it, if 95% of my life is self-serving, wouldn't he catch me at a bad time? I don't think these verses are trying to make us afraid of what Jesus is going to see. Rather, they're saying that your whole life matters, not just your best moments. And what I'm trying to say today is not that we should heap on more volunteering or heap on more giving, etc. What I'm trying to say is I don't think we as a church in the West fully understand what it means to be on mission. Have you ever felt awkward and uncomfortable giving to the poor? Because I have. And I think it's because we're trying to keep them here on the side and bring them along with us as we still pursue our own successful life. 
going to a good university, getting a good job, getting married, buying a car, buying a house in a clean, safe neighborhood, putting our kids in a, in a, a good private school and paying into a comfortable retirement. And then we read our Bibles and pray and try to fit this life somehow into Jesus' command of seek first the kingdom. Consider for a minute, how can I live on mission as Jesus did if I'm only surrounded by privileged people? If society defines success in our life as upward mobility, moving up in the world, then Jesus' entire life and mission was downward mobility. He started at the top as God and King and then moved down to Israel, who are a political and ethnic minority, to liars and cheats and foreigners and prostitutes, tax collectors. I think we have a hard time living a holistic missional life because that holistic missional life is totally incompatible with the life that society is pulling us towards. So a lot of people's response or some people's response to understanding this holistic life is to sell their possessions and move to Africa. And perhaps you know this and it's been a barrier for you because you think that has to be your response too, or it's the only response. But it is not, and it is not too late to start thinking and living a holistic missional life. So how did that uh, experience with the bad volunteers impact me? I learned that good intentions are a starting point. They are not enough to have an impact on my community. For that, I need education and tools. So what I want you to consider today is where can you learn more about your community? Have you ever volunteered with City Collective at Gateway of Hope? Research the homeless population and the drug use in Langley. Do you regularly interact and come across Chinese or Middle Eastern immigrants? Learn about their culture so you can better interact and communicate with them. Do you give financially to compassion or world vision? Read about their impact. Small step like, steps like these will gradually transform us from a community that is waiting for the kingdom of God to come to us into a community that is seeking first the kingdom, a community that is watching for the return of Jesus. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.